You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that from all different fields are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Grit and Grace. We are really excited to be bringing you a couple of episodes that are actually bonus episodes. And they are recorded live at the Invest Her event, which is their annual fundraising event. And if you guys haven't met the ladies of Invest Her, I suggest you go listen to that podcast because they are doing amazing things. And listen, here's what you guys need to know. That in the 2016 election... 33% of all individual donors to any campaign were women. But the problem is, is that those women were primarily supporting male candidates. So this political action committee, which is Invest Her, and yes, that's H-E-R at the end, they have developed this model, this pack, where their goal is to bring more women to the table to support other female candidates. And they do it by supporting candidates on both sides of the aisle, which I think is fantastic. And here's another interesting statistic for you to know. 65% of women say that the number one barrier to them running to office is a lack of funds. And this is just atrocious because we all know that we need more women in political positions um, across this nation and at the state level and at the local level because we're still at 24% of state legislation being positions being held by women. So we are here today to support the women that are running for a variety of elected positions. We're going to interview a bunch of them. So you guys are going to get to know a ton of the ladies that are running for the House of Representatives, both local and at the national level. We have senators. We have, I think we even have one of Denver City Council members here who is, I think, going into her third term, which is very exciting. So stay tuned. We're going to bring you two amazing episodes. We're back for another episode of Grit and Grace, where we are talking to the candidates in Colorado that are running for elected positions. We are at an investor event, uh, which has actually been really cool. I've got to speak to some really amazing, amazing candidates. And it's really interesting that we have this group like all that's at this event together, a combination of men and women that are all recognizing that we are so far behind the times in what women can provide in elected positions. So I'm really excited to be hosting these interviews and sharing with all of you what's going on in Colorado because I think that this is a really important topic. And I'm going to try really hard to say my next guest's name. And if I don't, she's going to correct me, which is fine. I want her to. But Juji Carminati. All right. Oh, 100%. my God. Points for Taverly. Got it. Hey, I have Taverly, so I, I, you know, that's always a complicated name. So, thank you. I know you're running for Colorado U.S. Senate. State Colorado Senate. State Senate. Yes. I kind of put it all together. Yes. I just made it a national and a state election. All in one. <laughs> Colorado and the U.S. No, you're running for State Senate. Yes, I am. Senate okay. District 28 out of Arapahoe County. So, what cities does that cover? Aurora. Aurora, okay. Yeah. So what, okay, I know that you're a first-generation Italian, because we talked about that, because we had this uh, very much in common ability to speak very loudly. I was trying to be not stereotypical there. Did you like how I didn't say that? You know, we did, you just said it loud. I um, did. I got really loud really fast for no, for <laughs> no reason. So that's how I knew that you were Italian, yes. not your last name. So what made you decide to run for Colorado Senate? The real question is really, because I've had to answer that question so many times. Oh, really? You know, That's a common question. Yes, because when you're running for office, the question is, why are you doing this? And the more I answer it, the more I realize, you know, the real question is, how could I not? Like, how could I not do this? How could I not step up to the plate and try to make a difference? I'm just 
I've been increasingly frustrated. So I'm a mother of four. I'm an attorney. I went to law school. I did all the right things, all the things that you're supposed to do. And then I see all people around me doing the right things. They work hard. They try to raise their kids. And the way society functions consistently keeps them from enjoying the fruits of their labor. And so I thought, okay, what do you mean? So what do you mean? Give me an example. Okay, so I will say, for example, a really simple example. If you have your kids and you're raising them, the childcare situation in our country, in our state, in our county, is such that families have to either bleed themselves to be able to put their kids in childcare, which is a necessity if you have a two-income earning family, or they have to say, well, one of us is not going to earn an income, and usually that one is the woman. Is the woman, yeah. The and mom. that deprives women of the ability to have the intellectual and professional and personal satisfaction of having careers and lives of their own. And so that's what I'm saying. People are doing everything right. There's nothing wrong about building a family, but we should have a society that's conducive to helping that be a sustainable choice. I think healthcare falls into the same bucket. You can be doing everything right, and then your family's finances can be destroyed by the fact that somebody gets ill, somebody gets sick, something that is completely outside our control. Right. So when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at the healthcare system, I'm looking at the childcare system, and that's on the local level. I'm looking at our criminal justice system, which is still fundamentally unfair. Uh, and I just thought, how can I not do something? And I've always wanted. I always thought maybe one day I'll run for office. And then I saw what was happening at the federal level, and I saw the zero-tolerance policies at the border, and I thought, this is it. Like, I will either implode or I'm going to step up to the plate and do something to change this. Mm-hmm. Well, those first of all, those are really good reasons to say, how can I not run? I appreciate that very much. Um, I think that the, the one challenge that I always, in my mind, and how I think about it is, then what's the solution? I mean, the problem is is that as one person, you are not going to be in a position to make change. We have to make change collectively. That's why we have elected positions, because people represent different districts. Um, they rep- represent different areas of governing, right? So you're going to have to be a part of a governing body to make those changes. And having a like a baseline of what that is, I mean, let's go to childcare. How is it how, what do you think that we're going to be able to do to change that situation for working families unless it becomes subsidized? So I think subsidizing is one way to do it. And there's also the fact that we have subsidized childcare, but it's only for certain families who are very, very low income. And we could expand those programs to create sliding scale programs so that people can pay into them if they're making more money, which puts more money into the system. But the thing is this. There are solutions. There are ways to get around it. If we are able to subsidize the whole variety of things that we subsidize, and if we're able to find creative solutions to all the things that we've been able to find you know, in this country for 200 years, I think childcare is not such an insurmountable problem. But the, pro- the issue is this. When you have a room full of women discussing this, we understand in a very personal way the fact that it affects us, right? Elizabeth Warren says when she's running for office, without childcare, I would not be here. Like, we understand it. We don't have to sit down and explain why is childcare important? We start with the premise, okay, childcare is important. Let's go from there. And the fact, for example, that the General Assembly is a majority women has, I think, the proof has been there. First of all, they were able to pass a lot of really, really amazing bills the last session. Majority of women in General Assembly, I don't think that's a coincidence. But what's really been fantastic is that um, a lot of the bills were bipartisan. The fact that women were able to sit down and get buy-in across the aisle saying, okay, how can we work together to find smart solutions to real problems? But women... We see the world, I think, in different ways, and we are more in tune to certain issues and issues that are very fundamental to how families function. And when women get together in a room, you don't have to start with, why is this a problem? You start with, this is a problem, let's find a solution. Well, I also think that you're talking about, in that particular case, you're talking about an issue that we have emotion tied to. And that's the, I mean, there is a difference between how men and women are going to handle certain issues. And... I guess the thing that's changing now is that we understand that having an emotion attached to an issue is not a bad thing. It it used to be a bad thing. 
right? It, it, it used to be a part of why people would say women can't run for positions or can't hold high positions is because they're going to get emotional. And, and the question should be, and maybe you should get a little emotional when something is really serious, like where you're, who's going to take care of your children so you can go to work. That's a pretty serious issue. So I think that I think that the also difference is that sometimes in certain issues, women are going to bring their feelings into it, which is going to create, in my opinion, a different type of communication about communication about the topic. And I'm not saying that all women are like that. And I'm saying that I'm not saying that not all men are not emotional. But I think that on the majority, that is a big piece of what we bring to the table. I think it's been held against women in different ways, and there's mm. definitely been a double standard. I think the fact that we are passionate, right, reframing it as it's not emotion, it's passion. We're mm -hmm. passionate about these issues because we've seen how they affect our communities. I think we also are very interconnected to each other in a variety of ways because we understand challenges that have been very common to our experiences as women, whether that be childcare, healthcare, equal pay, discrimination, like all of these are things that affect us in very personal ways. Mm -hmm. And I say also that actually a lot of the women that I encounter were also very data driven. I'm very data driven. Really? Yeah. So why is why do you think that is? I think because we want to know, we we're, we want to know facts. Like I look at facts. I'm not interested in, I mean, anecdotes are important, but what I want to see is I want to see the numbers and the percentages and the pluses and the minuses. And let's have thoughtful conversations that are not based on pure politics. But if you're going to do policy, it needs to be data driven mm. because you're okay. not going to actually solve problems unless you fully understand the problem and data gives you that answer. Yeah. So just to switch topics here, because I know our time is limited, uh, how many other people are running for your district position? Right now, there's only two of us in the primary. It's a Democratic primary. And uh, so there's one candidate and myself running. And the current incumbent is Senator Nancy Todd, and she's term limited. Okay, so that's a game changer. Um, and, and how do you feel about this election so far? What has it been like for you as a woman running for an elected position in the state? It's both been really challenging because of the various issues. The, the fact is that CD6, our district, is going to be very much overfunded. It's a critical kind of seat. There's a lot of money pouring into the district. And so this state Senate seat is not really taking center stage in the big picture. Yeah. On the other hand, it has been really really amazing to be able to meet people and talk to them and ask them what are the issues that matter to you and while I'm listening to them I'm I'm strengthened in my resolve to do this because they are the same issues that I have they are the same things that I'm concerned about criminal justice reform middle income you know middle class and lower class economic policies and defense of our environment and these are the issues that matter in my race they matter to me and they matter to the people I'm talking to and it's wonderful to find that community right how is your have you had any challenges with fundraising for your campaign Yeah, it's really hard. It's absolutely yeah. very, very hard. It's, um, you know, $25, $50 a time, $100. There's some people that came through that I am forever grateful for. I'm actually incredibly grateful when people donate $5 because I know that it's because they did not have a lot of money, but they took yeah. the time and they they chose to invest in me. And so yeah. those $5 contributions actually touch me really deeply, especially when they come from students or people who just don't have a lot of money. Uh, but it is absolutely a challenge. So, so organizations like InvestHer really make me feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel because I feel that no matter how hard it is, I'll be able to, re I'll be able to count on them helping me out down the line. Yeah, which is good. I mean, you're, this is your first uh, elected position that you're running for. Yes. Right. This is your first campaign. I lost the word temporarily. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've done a lot of talking today, but all of a sudden I lost the word campaign. It like went out of my brain. I'm like, this is the first elected position. <laughs> um, but this, yes. I know it's, it's just funny. You know how that happens? Yes. But yes, it's funny how I can still pull other words together yes. to keep talking, even though the one I want is way back there in my brain. Yes. Um, It's not easy, right? Running for you know, running your first campaign. I, I'm really happy that you're willing to throw your hat in the ring. Thank you. I am sure that it's been difficult for your family to adjust. Let me let me ask you a question. Like, what what did your husband say when you decided, you know, to tell him one day? I think I want to run for Colorado Senate. He actually 
didn't really react. And then after a few days, I was, I said, you know, I just told you I ran for office. And he said, this is literally what he said. He said, you're going to run for president of the United States one day. So I guess you had to start somewhere. Wow. Okay. That's a keeper right there. (laughs) Hubby, if you're listening, that's, that's well done. Like big high five for that. So no, he was part of my trajectory in his mind. So it was not a big news to him. Did you receive any negative feedback from family or friends? No, actually everyone so far has been supportive. Good. I hope it remains that way. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to speak with me. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about you. Absolutely. They can check out my website at uh, juji4colorado.com, G-I-U-G-I, juji4colorado.com, and I'm on Facebook, so you can always find me there. And we'll put the link to uh, all of your information in the show notes so people can find you. But thank you again. And listen, we wish you the best of luck. Oh, thank you, and thank you so much for doing this with me. Every bit counts, and I'm so appreciative that you took the time to talk to me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming back and helping us finish this episode of Grit and Grace. We are talking to Brianna Titone. It's Titone. It's Titone. But you know what just happened is we were talking about the Italian version, which is actually Titone. But I came out like half Titone and half Titone. Trying to keep it simple. I know, trying to keep it simple. Well, Brianna, thank you for joining me. I know that you are the first transgender person to be elected into office in Colorado for District 27. That's right. Um, which I think is really quite amazing. Thank you. But I'm sure it wasn't always an amazing path for you. Must have been difficult. Yeah, it's um, um, like most trans people. It's a personal struggle uh, that you deal with your whole life, and then um, you get to the point where you overcome it and and you uh, do great things after you're able to be yourself. Yeah. Um, and what did you do before you decided to run for office? Well, I did a lot of different things. Um, most recently, I worked for a software company. I finished okay. a degree in uh, information communication technology. Uh, before that, I was a mining consultant, and I worked in the mining industry, uh, working on projects all over the world, doing uh, lots of different field work. And uh, before that, I worked for an environmental company. So I'm um, a scientist by trade. Uh, now I'm kind of a computer geek scientist lawmaker that's computer geek scientist lawmaker that's a pretty good combination yeah i think so <laughs> i mean and you could just add anything else in there that you want you know right that's- and you know you you learn different things uh as part of this job which i really really enjoy um being on committees i didn't really ever expect to be on uh and getting faced with all these decisions to make about complex decisions and right and it's just a a great learning experience which i is the favorite part. Yeah. So when were you elected? I was elected in 2018, November. So you finished one term and you have another term. And then are you... Well, I finished one session. One session. That's what I'm I meant. And I'm working on my session. Yeah. re-election in 2020. So yeah, we were... You know, we talked to a representative earlier that's currently serving and also planning for re-election. And I find that that's a really... Because it's only a two-year term, mm-hmm. it's... You're almost... In order to stay in that term, you have to continually be focusing on your re-election, which means you, like, just get elected and then you have to plan for your next election, even while you're actually doing the job. Yep. Yeah, I yep. find that very... That must be very challenging. It's... Yeah, I mean, it's always just adding another layer of of a different kind of work on top of the stuff that you're already doing. Right. So you were elected and you've done one full session. So what do you expect this next session to be like? Now that you feel like you got, you know, you have your, you have your feet underneath you, you know, you, you've been, you've been through it once, you know, a little bit more about the process. Uh, what are you expecting it to be like? Well, I think the first session I was a little underestimated, uh, because they never expected me to be there in the first place. Mm. Um, I was the long shot, the impossible race, you know, the... So wait, let me just ask you, District 27 covers what area? Uh, it covers Arvada, the city of Arvada, okay. on the west side of Arvada, okay. predominantly. So gotcha. historically, a very conservative area. Mm. Um, the last election, the Republican won by 14%. And, you know, because of that and because the Republican hadn't won since the district was drawn, um, 
They never a expected A Democrat me. hadn't won? That's right. Oh, you said a Republican hadn't won. Did I say that? I just have to correct. Okay, so wait. A Democrat, a Democrat had not won, has not won since, since they the, drew the district. district was zoned. Okay. You were the first Democrat to win? Yeah. Wow. And that's why they figured if a Democrat cannot win the district that's not transgender, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that. Right. So I was underestimated. I was thought that I was never going to win. And then when I was there, it was kind of just like, okay, we have to kind of fit her into this somehow. So I wasn't, I felt a little bit kind of behind the curve a little bit in mm-hmm. that respect. Um, but I think I've proven myself pretty well and uh, impressed a lot of the, the lobbyists and um, all the people around the Capitol. And you know, I'm going to try to up my game a little bit more and do mm-hmm. some better work and uh, some more substantial bills and really show the people in my district that I've been working really hard for them and mm-hmm. there's no reason for them to want to select anyone else because I'm going to set the bar so high that no one's going to want to even follow me. Yeah, that's a really good plan. And were you a part of Jude's Law getting passed? Yes. So tell our listeners about Jude's Law because I I think that this is really important. Yeah, uh, Jude's Law uh, is a was a bill that was put into place to get transgender people the ability to change their gender marker on their birth certificate uh, without having to have surgery. And that was the requirement in Colorado. And uh, that law had been on the books uh, being heard in the, in the legislature for five years. It took five years to pass that bill. And I testified on the bill uh, several times before I ran for office. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched Jude... Uh, young transgender woman who is now 13, she started testifying on that bill when she was nine. And I saw her last night <laughs> at, mm. the, uh, at the One Colorado Awards mm. dinner. And um, we had to wait till we flipped the Senate in order to pass the bill because the Senate kill committee would continuously prevent the bill from getting a vote in the Senate. And that was always our biggest obstacle. We knew that we would get the votes, but without the majority, they would never let the bill get heard. So we accomplished that. We flipped the Senate, uh, and then we actually got to hear the bill. And uh, just like we expected, many Republicans, especially in the Senate, actually voted for it. Mm. And now uh, trans people have the ability to change their birth marker on their birth certificate without all the restrictions and without the publication requirement. Because if you get your name changed, you have to change, you have to publish it in a newspaper. And What? Still? Yeah, yeah, I did. I had to do that. Um, but now you don't have to. Uh, and that outs you. You know, it, it puts yeah. on the record you're getting your name changed. And, and if somebody doesn't know you're a trans person, well, guess what? They see that in a newspaper, they will. Mm. And or if they Google search it, because now newspapers are online. Right. It's, so it's, it's always searchable, even mm-hmm. if all the paper copies are gone. Yeah. Interesting. That must be something you're proud of. Yeah, it was it was something I'm proud of, and uh, I didn't carry the bill. Uh, you know, the the sponsors that had it last year continued to do that, and uh, that was really so I could do more legislation that was tailor made for the people in my district. Mm. And my district is not a lot of LGBTQ community, so uh, I decided that you know I would want to focus on more of the meat and potatoes type issues and support that bill on the side. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause sure you're representing your people, so you've exactly. got to do what you got to do. And, um, but I'm glad that you were able to be there for something you had started before you were in an elected position. That must be a pretty cool thing. It was a very moving moment in, in the committee that I was on. We heard the bill and I had some words and it was hard to hold back tears uh, yeah. during that. Yeah. That's great. Um, okay. So like, what, how has being an elected official impacted your personal life or, you know, your family? Like, what has this been like in terms of taking a toll or has it taken a toll? Maybe it hasn't. I'm kind of a workaholic mm. uh, and I've always been. And before I became a legislator, I, I only came out as being trans about four years ago. Mm. And before that, I buried myself in work because I had nothing else to do and I didn't have a lot of people in my life. Uh, because when you're a closeted trans person, you tend to uh, want to be yourself at home and not be out getting to know people and pretending to be someone you're not. So 
once I was able to come out and I was able to uh, be myself, I was able to actually finally uh, get to know people and actually have the courage to run for office. Um, so I still have the attitude of working, 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 working. Mm. And now that I have a fiance, I have to tone that back a little bit and make sure that I, I give time for her uh, because that's uh, important that important part of my life that I didn't have before that I'm trying to get used to a little bit. It's what we call balance. Exactly. Yeah, I feel you. I'm a, an entrepreneur, so I own my own business. I host three podcasts. This is one of the three podcasts. And so I work a lot. And you see some of my ladies here with me, and they will attest to the fact that I'm not always very good at balance. So I totally can feel for you. But it's it's not something that I'm saying is okay. It's something I'm saying I know I need to work on. Exactly. So I'm glad you recognize mm-hmm. that, too. So my last question for you is if there's another person in the trans community that wants to run for an elected position, what do you think that they need to know in order to do it successfully? Well, that's a good question. Um, I learned a lot about what I had to do from the first trans person to win elected office, and that was Danica Rome. I reached out to her, and she gave me uh, several different pointers, uh, many of which do not apply to running a race in Colorado. Uh, so, uh, but I did learn a lot of strategy about really focusing on the district, understanding the people in the community and, uh, getting out there and getting to know people because, you know, when there's a label put on you, you need to go past that and say the label doesn't matter. The substance is what matters. And we knocked on, tens of thousands of doors mm. and we had you know thousands and thousands of conversations with people about the issues and really focusing on the people and uh, not on what I want to do because what I want to do is irrelevant mm-hmm. it's what do you want me to do mm-hmm. and when I came across being very authentic uh, my Face doesn't match my voice, <laughs> and uh, that was a decision I had to make whether I was going to run for office and be able to deal with that and mm. for myself, not not for everybody else. But is that something I'm willing to accept? Um, but people really could tell that I'm very caring about what goes on, what we do, how I do it, and being authentic and honest and transparent in what I do. Because that's what people really want in a politician. And I felt right. that they weren't getting that before. And yeah. that's that's the way you win an election is by giving people what they want. Right. Well, and I think that you are, you're not just giving them what they want. You are authentically just being yourself. And that's what people are connecting to. And that's the difference, I think, with a lot of elected officials now is that people gravitate towards those that don't have a political career or don't have political aspirations overall. They want the every average day person that they can relate to because they feel like that person is going to make decisions that's based upon the community, not their own gain. And that's, that's a big, I I would say that that's something positive we've seen in the last outside of one particular part of the last election. I would say we saw a lot of that outside of the one. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, But that is, I think that that's really important at a, especially at a local level. Yeah. I mean, I'm out in my community all the time. I host three public events every single month. I do a town hall, I do a beer, and I do a coffee. Wow. And I publicize it on my website, on Facebook. It's all over the place. So if if you don't know about it, it's because you're not paying attention. It's not because you're trying to tell me something and I'm not listening. And that's what being available and and being the people's voice is actually giving them an opportunity mm. to actually and be, so let, you're you you're present them. for them to be able to get to you there's no there's no wall between you and your community you're making yourself always available absolutely that's the way i envision this office to be held and that's the way i want to raise the standard to that so how can people find you well people can find me at briannaforcolorado.com you can find me on instagram and twitter and facebook uh, brianna for colorado and brianna for co on Twitter, and uh, people tend to like my Twitter feed these days. I have Very some good cool. things, and um, I have one of the best newsletters from what everyone's telling me hmm. uh, in in the state of Colorado. So, uh, I also part of the transparency thing. Really, just hmm. here's how it is. Here's what happened. Here's here's what I've been doing. Here's what's happening around you, and here's how to reach me. And it's uh, 
you know, my cell phone number's all over the place. It's my, my phone number's everywhere. I want people to call me. Mm-hmm. My phone's not ringing off the hook right now, is it? No, it's not. No. Um, but people have the number, and it's just really a sign to tell people that I'm not afraid to have those conversations. Right. Well, I appreciate that very much about you, and I'm sure that your district um, appreciates that. And so for anybody that wants to get in touch with Brianna, I will put her information in the show notes, and they can follow you directly. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And good luck for the next session and for your race. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you. We're back with Amy Padden, who is currently the Eagle County District's Attorney. District Attorney, you work for the District Attorney's Office. I work for the District Attorney's Office in Eagle County. I, I am not said, the District Attorney. In you'll Eagle notice County. I caught myself. You know, <laughs> yes. I've had a lot of different titles from elected positions thrown at me today, so I totally understand. It's interesting how much you don't know about elected positions right. until you are like what we're doing today, where you're meet. I'm meeting people of all different positions, and some of them I didn't even know that certain positions were elected. I thought some that you know we spoke to today were actually um, just like hired positions by cities or municipalities, but they're not. There's a lot of elected positions, more than we know. Yes, yes. In other states, um, sometimes the prosecutors are appointed by the governor, See, for example, but in our state, they're elected. Okay, yes. so our state elects our district attorneys. Correct. So you work for the district attorney's, d- attorney's office in Eagle County, but you are running for the 18th district attorney. Correct. That's correct. And that is Arapahoe, Douglas, Lincoln, and Elbert counties. Wow. So this is going to be a big change for you. Yes, it will be. So what made you decide to run for the 18th county? Right. So that district attorney's office is crucially important in our state. It's the largest district attorney's office. Mm. Um, It has over a million people in it. And it has a very diverse community. And frankly, it is an... um, real need of some uh, reforms and uh, a more progressive leader who's going to take a different look at how the district attorney's office has been run. And so I'm here to do that. So who's in that position now? Uh, Our current district attorney is George Brockler. So has it been run by a woman before? It has been run by a woman before. Um, His predecessor uh, was a woman, uh, Carol Chambers. Mm, Okay. And so what is your, like, tell me a little bit about your history. Sure. Yeah, so I've been uh, in Colorado for about 21 years. I um, first started in private practice when I got out here, and uh, once I got my student loan paid off, I was uh, able to pursue my real passion, which was public service. So Mm. I went to the Colorado Attorney General's office, where I was a consumer protection prosecutor, so I was prosecuting cases of fraud, like charity fraud or false advertising, things like that. Mm. I spent 11 years at the U.S. Attorney's office um, as an assistant U.S. attorney and worked my way up to be the third in command um, in that office, Mm. uh, which was a great job. Uh, frankly, until the 2016 election happened, and then I decided that I really couldn't stay there. I couldn't work under uh, the Trump administration. I just didn't mm-hmm. believe in the policies they were rolling out from Washington, D.C. I thought they were unconstitutional and they were harmful, and I didn't want to go to court and enforce those policies. Mm-hmm. And so I never really had thought about running for office before then, but at that point in time, you know, there weren't that many women running for statewide office, and I really wanted to see more women in office. So I said, why don't I do it? Why don't mm-hmm. I do it rather than waiting for someone else to do it? Right. So I quit my job and I ran for state attorney general, um, which uh, honestly was a great experience, but I was the fifth person in a a five-way primary, Mm. so it was a little challenging and I was new to the political world. Isn't that a lot of people in a political primary for that role? Yes, it is a lot. I mean, almost excessive a lot. Yes. (laughs) I was wondering if that was just me, but I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yes, we have more than that in our Senate race right now, but that's a lot for that, um, for a statewide race. and so I ran a really great race, but when it appeared to me that, uh, you know, there was probably not a path forward victory for me at that point in time, I dropped out of the race and I endorsed the person, Phil Weiser, who is our current attorney general, um, who was actually running against George Brockler. He was running as the Republican to be mm. our attorney general. Um, so I did that, and then I went back to practicing law for a little bit, went back to the attorney general's office, actually, um, in the special prosecution section, where I helped our rural district attorneys with uh, felony cases like homicides and things like that, mm. and then got hired by Bruce Brown, who's our district attorney in the 5th Judicial District. Um, he hired me to set up an adult diversion program. We are, we are taking... Um, 
people who have felony convictions, so they're, they're serious crimes, but they're not crimes of violence, and a lot of them are first-time offenders, or maybe they have a minor offense in the past, and you know maybe they have an addiction problem, maybe they were just going through a tough time, right. and they made a mistake. And honestly, if they have a felony conviction, it's it's really going to affect, if not ruin their lives, right. because you know right. if they go to prison, they're going right. to lose their jobs, they're going to be separated right. from their families, and you know it's going to be very hard for them to get a job when they get out. So our program, it's going to be a lot of work. They're going to have to work hard. They're going to have to get counseling. They're going to have to make amends for their crimes. They're going to have to pay restitution, you know, do letters of apology, uh, whatever is required of them. But if they successfully complete it, they're not going to have a felony conviction at the end of the day. Really? Yes. So that's mm. huge. Um, and we think it's really going to positively affect our communities um, in the 5th Judicial District where I work right now. And I would love to bring a robust program like that to the 18th Judicial mm. District. That sounds amazing. Is there a lot of those felonies have to do with marijuana? Um, because yes. it's a lot of, I mean, a lot of people in the communities, you know, they talk a lot about the his, history of marijuana convictions. And now with the law being what it is, there's a real strive, like a push to like just correct those issues. Right? right. And, and not that, you know, you can go back and say, well, the, you know, we should, we should change all of the convictions because the law is, we can't do that. I mean, the law was what the law was. You right. broke the law. That's the way it goes. But I do think that we are at a, at a time where our prisons are very problematic. Yes. And I think that, um, anything that we can do to improve the opportunity for citizens to get back to, society and have the opportunity to transition into something productive and give them the support that they need to do that is always a better choice, especially for nonviolent criminals. Yes. No, I totally agree with that. And so, um, for our program, it's a prospective program. So it's people that are they have a case pending or maybe we're investigating okay. them right now. Not convicted. And, right. Not already convicted. Um, although that raises another important point, but the, the root of the, I mean, we need to get, we have an over-incarceration problem in yeah. our state mm -hmm. and nationally, and we need to get to the root of that problem. And frankly, it's costing us a lot of taxpayer costing money. Costing us a lot of money, yeah. Right. If you incarcerate someone for a year in the Department of Corrections, it can cost between thirty-five dollars and $40,000. Yeah, I read, think I read that a couple of weeks ago, and I was just, I feel like there has to be alternatives for lesser crimes than that. That should not be our option. I right. mean, there's got to be other options. Right. And we need to focus more, frankly, on rehabilitation yeah. and also repairing the harm that you've done to society. So right. if someone's locked up in prison, they're not going to be able to pay the restitution because they don't have a job. Or they, right. If they have a job in the prison, they may be making a dollar or two a day. Right. And they're never going to be able to repair the harm that they did um, to the community. And, you know, their job prospects are pretty low when they get out of prison. And yeah. as a result, we have a 50% recidivism rate for people who go through the Department of Corrections. Whereas for... Um, a diversion program like the one I set up, usually we have about a, between 80 and 90% success rates for those mm. programs because people can, you know, have more access to the help they need. They can right. stay in their jobs. They can stay with their families. They have those support systems available. And, you know, our goal is that they can get past whatever mistakes they made and move on and not make a mistake like that in the future. Yeah, that sounds like a really amazing program. So um, how can our listeners find you? Uh, they can go to my website. It's amypadden.com. So A-M-Y-P-A-D-D-E-N.com. So tell me, okay, I have one last question before I wrap it up. How, so who votes, what district are you in where people actually vote for you? What election ballot are you going to be listed yes. on? Because I just thought, okay, is that Eagle County? Okay, no, it's not no. Eagle County. No. No, so 18th Judicial District. So anyone who lives in Arapaho, Douglas, Lincoln, or Elbert will be able to vote for me. The election's in 2020. Yeah, so you, you're... It's just interesting because not all elections go by county. Correct. So some some elections, if you're if we're in a state election or if you're in a city election, they're only going to have certain candidates on it. But you're going to be listed on those four different county ballots. Yes. Anyone in those four different counties that's voting will see my name on the ballot, and I hope they will vote for me. If there's anything I learned today, it's that people need to educate themselves on the elected process as a whole. Yes, they do. And, you know, really learn... A lot of times people just focus at the top of the ballot, like who's running it's for president, who's true. running for Senate, but yeah. you really need to vote all the way down the ballot because 
these other seats have huge impacts on yeah. your day-to-day life. Right. You know, and also it's really important to be grooming more candidates and more women, frankly, mm-hmm. to run for a higher level office. And the only way we're going to do that is we get them elected to um, the other offices. And so right. we really need to, to do your research and vote all the way down the ballot. And events like what we're at today, which is events where, you know, organizations or PACs like invest her are coming together to really support women. And the interesting thing is, is that you're running in a different position than any of the other women that I've talked to today. Yes. But it's important that people know that there are women like you out there willing to do this work. Number one, number two, willing to go through the hard changes you have to go through to be successful in that work. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's incredible. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we appreciate you joining the show and best of luck for your race in 2020. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Next up, we have Lisa Smith. And I want to let you know you guys have been listening to the interviews I've been doing during the live investor annual fundraising event. And so our audio with Lisa and I is going to be a little bit different because unfortunately during the event, we weren't able to make her interview happen. So we are now in studio. So this is going to sound just a tad bit different than the others, but just so you know. So anyway, welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. So I know that you are running for House District 13 in Colorado. And it's funny, I was just, before you got here, I was just talking to Beth, whose space, beautiful space that we are in at Be Creative Studio. And I was looking at some of the language. So as a candidate for the House of Representatives, once you're elected, is do you then become a representative? Is that the yes, terminology? Exactly. I want to make sure I have it right. Yeah. So for the Colorado State House, you are a representative as opposed to a senator for the other house. Gotcha. So what is House District 13? Where does that encompass? House District 13 is Boulder County west of Broadway, so the western portion of Boulder County. Uh, And then it extends up into the mountains. So it's all of Clear Creek County, Grand County, Gilpin, and Jackson counties. So the way I like to describe it is it's the front range to the foot of Rabbit Ears Pass, so not quite to Steamboat. Mm. Uh, And then it's Mount Evans all the way up to the Wyoming border. So it is a big, big district. That is a big district. Um, How does it compare in terms of population-wise to the other districts? It's the same. So um, that's how they're they're laid out. So you'll have a lot of districts and areas along the front range in Denver uh, and other parts around Boulder County, they're smaller. Uh, They're each about 77,000 people. Mm. Uh, That's not voters, but people. Uh, And it's based on the last census. Um, And yeah, that's why ours is so large. We have a lot of parks in there, a lot of wilderness. I like to say there are a lot of moose up there, but Mm. they don't vote. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, that's why it's such a large area. It's interesting you bring up census because one of the women that I interviewed so far for these shows talked about um, making sure that the new census dollars came to Colorado to get completed because people forget how important census data is. And this is just an example of why that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. Census data really determines uh, who gets representatives, what the districts look like. Um, Out of the next census, we will be potentially uh, looking at redistricting slightly. Mm. Um, And that's, again, just to make sure that each uh, area that's covered by a representative is about the same number of people living there. Um, so census data absolutely affects us very much here in Colorado. Totally makes sense. So, and I know that you're from Colorado. Yes. Yeah. A native of the district, actually. So I was born in Boulder Community Hospital back in 1982. Oh my gosh. I was born in Boulder Community Hospital oh, so a few years before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's where I was born. Back awesome. before it was what it is now. Cause it's, yes. I mean, it's not quite the same building and structure. I mean, it was an old building, but yeah. 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 The city bought it and it's unclear exactly what they're going to be doing with it. Um, but uh, it was funny. I actually worked for the city at the time they made that purchase. And so we had a lot of jokes going around about wanting to uh, either be in the room we were born in or um, be in the room that people have given birth to their children in as their office. So um, interesting. <laughs> but um, in reality, it, it is a pretty old building and hospitals over time become sick buildings. Yeah. Um, so it's probably, a, a lot of it's probably going to have to be torn down just for safety reasons. But, right. um, but yeah. So let me ask you this. What, how many people are running in your district for this position? So far, just two. Um, so there's still, still time for more people to get in. We'll see if more people do. Um, but it's just me and then one other Democrat so far. Mm, interesting. Okay. So tell me in your case, like, what do you feel makes you unique in, in running for this position? And I don't mean for all of the representatives because, you know, I think that each district has different needs. And so what for you, what do you think makes you unique? 
I think there are a couple different things. Uh, one is my background. So in addition to being very rooted in Colorado and rooted in the district, I have a master's in public administration and then a second master's in urban and regional planning or city planning uh, from the University of Colorado at Denver. Uh, and I went. To, I, the reason I went back to school was really because of a concern around climate change and uh, environmental impacts and kind of how we were going to manage that locally um, and nationally and then globally. Uh, so I have a very strong background in that. I went on to work for New Era Colorado, a wonderful organization um, founded by uh, Steve Fenberg um, and Joe Goose and a lot of other wonderful, Leslie Harrod, a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. people we now have in office mm-hmm. um, that was focused on getting youth involved in democracy. So registering young people to vote, turning them out to vote and engaging them on issues that matter to them. Um, and those are the same issues that matter to me, you know, so. Right. Um, student loans are not an abstract for me. I have them. Um, you know, taking a position uh, in the state house would absolutely be um, a chance to serve, but also a bit of a sacrifice in terms of the speed with which I could pay those back. Um, I have friends who, if they've been lucky enough to even be able to buy a house, which I, I don't own a house, you know, I rent, mm-hmm. um, but who, if they've been lucky enough to purchase a home, are paying more in childcare for daycare for two kids than they are on that substantial mortgage. Um, again, not an abstract. Um, climate change is happening now. Uh, it's right. you know impacting us directly. Life, it's directly, right. yeah, in, in in real time. So there's that, um, and just <clears throat> the way that I relate to all of those things very very directly. And then also, um, I worked for the city of Boulder, as I said, for four years. I worked for Boulder County in elections. Um, so I've, you were around participating during the 2018 election cycle. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. So I was actually uh, in Boulder County elections, which was very fun. It was great to see the kind of that side of it and how hard everyone works and incredible hours they put in. Um, It's interesting to be working in that area because I wasn't able to be as much of an advocate. And that's Mm. one of the things about working in uh, public service when you're working for a local government um, is that it's very important that you are. uh, It's not that you stop being a political person or that you don't vote, but you need to be impartial as possible so everyone can come to you and, you know, get what they need. Um, And so uh, that's kind of a fun thing about campaigning right now is that I get to be a bit more political and like state my positions more overtly, which I So you announced your candidacy, I think it was June, right? Yeah, very end of of May, June. mm -hmm. So it's been a couple of months. It has. And so what has changed since you announced that you were running for this position? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'd say I'm more comfortable with it. I've gotten more used to, you know, the, I I always love going to places and hearing people's stories. I love policy. So whenever we start talking about that, I get very happy, very fast. Um, And you're one of a kind that way. (laughs) Not one of a kind. You're one of a group of people that really like to talk policy, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think, I think I've gotten a bit more comfortable uh, being in a room, Um, definitely still working on my stumps, still trying to get that nailed down really well, but um, it feels more natural, I guess, you know, I'm I'm just a lot more comfortable with doing it. Uh, well, my kickoff is scheduled for um, September 15th. Mm. Um, we're doing it in the afternoon, uh, and it'll be up at one of the picnic shelters on Flagstaff Mountain, uh, which I thought was a very appropriate thing for District 13. Um, so I'm excited about that to see who comes there. And then uh, the next big step will be kind of communicating with people more. I've been doing quite a bit on social media, but more through email, having that kickoff, and then um, the great big fun fundraising uh, right, ramp up. which we've talked a lot in these in these particular episodes. We've talked a lot about that. I was not aware prior to this event that sixty five percent of women don't run for political positions due to lack of funding, which I was not aware of. But then I found out that you know, like more than thirty percent of all individual donors for political campaigns are women. So I, yes. in my brain, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and that that has been fascinating. Um, you know, just very early on, and and not in any way to um, minimize the amazing women who have contributed and contributed generously to my campaign. But absolutely, the the first donors that came in were men. Um, mm. The first maxers that came in were men. Mm. Um, you know, and and just kind of watching that happen again. Not that I didn't. It's just men supporting women is yeah. amazing. You know, yeah. I, I it was wonderful. Like, I, but but uh, women are. For whatever reason, and it's interesting to think about it for myself, you know, how have I given in the past? How am I giving currently? Um, how much of that is just access to funds and our, you know, our feeling of whether we have the money to allocate that way. But, um, yeah, women don't give the way men give. They don't. Interesting. Yeah. So what is one thing that you want listeners to know about why they should vote for you for this district? Uh, I am a fighter. I care deeply. And the more stress you pile on me, the happier I get. Um, you know, so being down there at the Capitol, um, representing people is 
kind of my dream job. Um, you know, not just that I want it, but it's something that I would be very, very good at. Uh, and also, I'm not someone who takes the easy out and I do the research. So I've been telling everyone that I will read every bill. I'm not going to feel comfortable voting for a bill unless I've read it. I'm not going to just trust what other people are telling me. Um, and I edit aggressively. It was an English major in undergrad. Um, mm. You know, so I'll, I'll be looking to see, you know, who, who does this help? Who does this hurt? And I take the representative part of it very seriously. Um, in some of my mountain communities, especially, it's a little more evenly split. Uh, you know, you have blue voters, Dem voters. You also have Republicans and people on the more conservative side. And um, for all that this is a progressive district and all of that, as a representative, you represent everyone. And mm. everyone needs to be able to walk through your door. Everyone needs to be able to tell you why legislation is going to help them or hurt them, uh, what it means for them, for their community, for their family. Um, and I will always have an open door to conversations and to making legislation better. And I think that's actually extremely important. It seems to be a topic of conversation lately, um, at least for me. I think that this wasn't necessarily, or if this was something that was discussed a lot in the past, it either hasn't been carried through or there are current representatives who are not honoring the idea that they need to have an open door policy for the people that they represent. So I'm not sure why it's led to this being such a hot topic right now. I don't, I don't know really the details. I'm not involved enough to know, but I really appreciate that. And and I hope, you know, well, you've actually just put it on the record. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, that, that, that means it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, working for, um, for the city and doing communications around highly charged issues. I was working on clean energy, so uh, mm. topics like municipalization and Especially climate in a place change. like Boulder. I yes. mean, people, if you're not from Colorado <laughs> and you don't know anything about Boulder, you would know that these would be very hot topics in that city. Yes, yes. And and I worked on parking, and nothing is more emotional than parking. I, oh, it's, it's a very emotional issue. Um, but, you know, that experience of just being out there literally in the field face-to-face with people explaining, you know, why they have to put information into a machine and why it is that we're charging for parking and then moving through their emotions with them until they get to a point and say, well, I don't love it, but I can't come up with a better solution. And you say, okay, well, if you do, please let us know. This is, we are your government. We are here to serve you. So if you've got a better idea, we want to know it. Um, You know, kind of having that experience, you, Mm. I think, prepares me well for uh, constituent conversations and working through hard things. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me. I'm really glad that we were able to make this happen so we can include you with the others that we've you know, interviewed during this Investor event, which is amazing. And so tell people how they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me on my website. That's www.lisaforcolorado.org. You can also find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Lisa for Colorado. Uh, and you've got options there to sign up for newsletters, uh, to follow me, uh, to send me an email or direct message me. And I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thank you, Lisa. And listen, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all the exciting things that are happening because we're going to be bringing you new stuff on the Himalaya app, which is only going to be available there at different times as it comes out. So thank you again for listening. And I want to tell you one special thing about Himalaya. As a social impact entrepreneur, one thing I appreciate about them the most is that they are not only focused on you as the listener and what matters to you, but they allow you to support your favorite podcasters and we totally feel your love. So thank you very much. Studio provided by Be Creative Media and Learning Lab in Lakewood. This amazing video is provided by Janine at Tailwind Media. Podcast notes and editorial provided by the Podcast Maven and my friend Les helps with all the post-production. And if you're looking for information on any of this amazing tribe of people that help bring you the show, let me know and I'll be happy to get you their information. And you can find me, I'm Tauber Lee, and all that I do with Tauber Lee's tribe or at Corporate Cause Agency at Tauber Lee. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E dot com.